Good morning. It's great to see you today. It's great to see some of you back after summer. I know some of you have been waiting for us to go to two services again, so there's a little bit more elbow room, and so uh, we're great. We had a really great crowd at our first service this morning as well, so it's just great, uh, great to see you. Thank you, Pastor Sandy. I'll just remind you again, as you look at the newsletter and the list of things that are coming up, we're not just trying to do a bunch of stuff. Um, we really are trying to create spaces for whether it's our kids or our students or we adults to gather in environments where we can learn to apply the teaching of God to our daily life. And we know that there's certain things that we just simply cannot do in this room during this time. And that there's so many life-giving and critical decisions that get made in our life that happen in smaller group settings. And so I would encourage you, as you have opportunity, to be finding a place to get connected beyond Sunday morning. We enjoy Sunday morning. It's great to see everybody. But really, the life change and the opportunity to have application and figure out and have conversations. How are you applying this? How are you doing this? Really happens in smaller group settings. We encourage you, um, as this year unfolds, we have a great opportunity tonight at six o'clock if you'd like uh, to find a space. Now, I, um, I love watching people. And a few weeks ago, I was in Walmart picking up a few things, and I saw this scene playing out that just captured my attention. It was a mom back to school shopping with her high school son. And I just couldn't help but just kind of take notice for probably way too long and probably bordered creepy, but that's, uh, that's my stuff. Um, anyways, there was this mom and she was on a mission. She had her phone out and she had a list and she was zigging and zagging and she was going down certain aisles and getting things and coming on out and she had a cart and she was passing people and she was taking care of business. And then there was her high school son. Just dragging mom no like you could just see on his face he would rather be anywhere else than in Walmart with his mom looking for school supplies and I mean this was just entertaining me way more than it should have been um, but I was watching one moment the son kind of stops and he gets out his phone and he's he's doing his thing and mom is two aisles up down on the right in the deodorant aisle now if you've never been in the men's deodorant aisle let me just tell you something it's a brave new world there's 900 options, and all the deodorant have names of things that no one knows what they mean. It's like musky, wolf, cave, salted, caramel deodorant flavor. It's like, what is this? And how does anybody know what this is going to smell like if you put it up? But his mom was in the aisle yelling out to her son in the main corridor, do you want the, you know, musky bat cave deodorant or the ocean sea salt, you know? And he was just like, he didn't care. You've, you've been here. You've shopped for men's deodorant. And I was amused just watching this thing because mom was on a mission. I loved it. And the boy was struggling to keep up. We're beginning a teaching series today on the book of Acts, and we're going to go through until probably about the second or third week of November, just really studying the first 10 chapters of this incredible story about the birth of the church. The Gospels capture the story of Jesus, the four Gospels, the story of Jesus leading and the disciples struggling to keep up. The book of Acts is the story now of the Holy Spirit leading and the people of God struggling 
to keep up. 56 times in the book of Acts, it talks about the Holy Spirit, and every time the Holy Spirit is doing something, it's leading, convicting people of sin, inspiring people to lay hands on people of prayer, breaking people out of prison, healing people, preaching the gospel to people again and again, 56 times. The Holy Spirit is moving the church forward, and the church is struggling to keep up. The church, the Holy Spirit is leading people across geographic boundaries, across ethnic boundaries, even across what I would call psychological boundaries. Like, can God really do that? Is God really going to reach out to those people? Don't they need to do something first before they become a Christian? I mean, there's this wonderful scene in Acts chapter 15 where the Holy Spirit has come on non-Jewish people and the church doesn't know what to do, so they have a meeting. And they have a meeting basically to ask themselves, can the Holy Spirit really do this? To which the Holy Spirit, no doubt, is waiting with bated breath to see if it can continue its work with the permission of the church. But this is the story of the church in the book of Acts, struggling to keep up to the redemptive work of Jesus. So in the Gospels, Jesus is the main character. In the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is the main character. And the church is a minor character. And what I love about the book of Acts, and you'll see this as we get into it, is the book, the writer Luke captures the church honestly. And by that I mean in all of its beauty and all of its ugliness. You know, there's nothing more beautiful than when the people of God surrender to the Spirit of God to carry out the work of God. There's nothing more beautiful. We're going to look at some tremendous passages in this series where God's people share their possessions, they break down ethnic lines and racial lines and poverty lines, and they come together as the people of God, and they do things they could never imagine doing. They go places they could never imagine they were going, and God gets all the glory. It's beautiful, beautiful. And there's moments that we'll see as we go through the book of Acts that are ugly, because the church in the book of Acts is very much like the church here today and everywhere on earth that is led and pastored and populated by broken and sinful people. And we bring our brokenness and our sin into the church, and at times when it gets the best, it gets a little ugly. As we read through the book of Acts, we're going to see church splits, friction, conflict, people pretending to be more spiritual than they are for their own personal gain. We're going to see racism and old ethnic lines get rebuilt again. And Luke makes no apology. He shares with us the whole story of the church and how the people of God are struggling to keep up with what God is doing new in their day. So let me tell you a little bit about the author of the book. Um, The author is... Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And so I want to share with you just a few verses from the very beginning of Luke's Gospel, and then a few verses just from the book of Acts, so you can kind of see the similarity and the continuity that he wants. If he had his preference today, he'd say, no, 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 before you start preaching on Acts, we need to read all of the Gospel of Luke first. But I'll let you do that maybe, maybe at home. But let me just read the first few verses from Luke chapter 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the very first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, 
I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So Luke is writing an orderly, detailed account about the life of Jesus. That's how Luke's gospel starts. And then he starts the book of Acts this way. In my former book, the book of Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Now, no one really knows who Theophilus was. There's all kinds of speculation. Uh, some people wonder because um, that Paul, the, God, or the book of Acts ends in Rome with Paul awaiting prison and awaiting a trial, that maybe he was writing these to kind of put in a good word for Paul who was awaiting trial. No one really knows. And Luke, we know very little about him as well. We know from the book of Colossians that he was a medical doctor. And we know as you read through the book of Acts, you'll see there's moments where he's describing things that others have told him. And then there's moments in the book of Acts where he's describing things because he's there. He was there. He talks about we went here, we went there. So Luke was on the ground with the Apostle Paul for parts of the book. But he captures for us a very orderly and detailed account. So let's read. I'm just going to read verses 4 and 5 here, and then make a few comments, and then we'll just read a few more. Acts chapter 1. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my, holy, my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Let me make a few comments. We'll talk a little bit about, more about it next week as well, about this idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts happens to mark the very beginning of a brand new age of what God is doing, the age of the church. It marks the start of a new era of ministry, the transition between walking physically with Jesus to now walking each and every one in the power of the Spirit. At Jesus' baptism, it marked the beginning of, a, of the period in which Jesus began his ministry. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the church marks the start of the launch of the church, the age of the church, which you and I are still in today. John describes it this way in Luke 3.16. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John's baptism was a literal immersion into water, the same kind that we practice here, that when you have repented of your sin and recognize that Jesus is your Savior and Lord, you confess, you become a Christian in that moment, the Holy Spirit is downloaded into your heart and you are a believer, you are a follower. But then you choose to get baptized at a later date. And when you get baptized, you're telling the story of what God has already done in your life. You're testifying that I was dead, but I've been given new life in Christ. 
This is what John baptized. This is the baptism of John. The baptism of the Spirit that we see here is when Jesus himself does the baptizing by sending his Holy Spirit on the church to mark the beginning of this new age where God's people would be led by the Spirit. Not by a cloud of smoke and a pillar of fire. Not by the tabernacle carried by the priests. And not by a physical Jesus walking around showing them where to go and what to do. But now being led by the Holy Spirit. Plunging the people of God into the Holy Spirit. That they would do all the things that Jesus has asked them to do. Through the Spirit's leading and through the Spirit's power. So Jesus meets with them after his resurrection for 40 days, sees 500 different people, and preaches to them about the kingdom of God. And the first question that they ask Jesus is, when are you going to return the kingdom to Israel? By which they mean, when is this physical and geographical location in our local government going to be removed from the Romans? When are you going to push them out? Forty days, Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God, and they want to know about the kingdom of Israel. Now, when I read that, there's a little bit of comfort for me, because here they were, they saw the resurrected Jesus, they were in his Bible study and heard him teach on the kingdom of God, and yet they were still thinking about just their own little corner of the world and political changes that they wanted to see happen. And it takes, gives me some comfort that if there's things that I'm still struggling with, I see that they're still struggling with some things too. Now, I want us to hold on to this question for a second. And I want us to kind of hold on to it in comparison to what we are going to see happen throughout the book of Acts. This idea that maybe if we could just see a change in our politics or see a few changes in this kind of a thing, then maybe that would be the thing that would ultimately set us free in comparison to God's Spirit coming on thousands of people, aliving them to carry out the work of God right across our world. I want us to hold it in attention when we read the story about Lydia and her family getting baptized in the middle of the night. The story of the Ethiopian eunuch giving his heart to Christ. When we see large communities gathering in the city square, hearing the gospel preached, and thousands of them coming to know the Lord. When we see people having a radical, fundamental transformation in how they think about their money, their time, and their possessions, and they start sharing with people in a way that captured the attention of their neighbors. When we see racial lines that had existed for generations be broken down and the church come together. And compare all of that to I hope we can get a little bit of political this or a little bit of political that. God is doing something new and bigger than what they had imagined. Let's read verses 7 and 8. Jesus said to them, this is a rebuke. It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. In other words, you're in over your heads here. This is beyond your pay grade. Don't worry about it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God says, you've got in mind something you'd like to do. Let me tell you about what I am going to do. I'm going to give you power, he says. I am going to give you 
power. Let's go back to the Gospels for a second. Jesus did not start his ministry until the Holy Spirit came upon him. And Jesus did his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. Meaning we should do that too. That we should not try to live out our life or to carry out our ministry in our own strength. Now I don't know what you think about when you think of power. Maybe you think of like something steamrolling, loud, big, crashing, like a giant storm moving through. That's fair. That's powerful. But I want you to think about Jesus when he's tempted in the wilderness and he whispers a word of scripture and defeats the evil one in his temptation. I want you to think about Jesus sitting with a group of people in a home telling a parable that completely upends someone's life and sends them going in a brand new direction. That's power. Jesus laying his hands on people and healing them. The Holy Spirit gives you and I access to the power of God to accomplish the work of God in our lives. Meaning this. Has anybody thought, I'd like to be more patient, more kind. I'd like to have the ability to forgive somebody that hurt me. I'd like to become more generous. I'd like to become more loving. All of that, the ability to be transformed, comes through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, to the ability to overcome temptation and the struggles of sin, the power to be a witness to other people. And when you think of being a powerful witness, maybe you think street corner, megaphone, yelling. I think of the wisdom to know the best time. The scripture that I read last week that the Holy Spirit brings to my mind to share with somebody, and the Holy Spirit is already working in their life, and so they're ready to hear it. That's what I think about when I think of power in witness. But God gives his spirit to you and I for everyday life that we might be transformed through his power. And this is so important because I think the temptation for you and I is to say, God saves me with his power, but now I live out my faith on my own strength. God rescued me at the cross with his power, And now I just better get busy and work harder and do more and do this and just try, try, try in order to become a better person. Not at all. Our ability to be transformed from the inside out happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the first thing Jesus promises his church is power. The second is witnesses. And I love that he says you will not do witnessing. He says you will be witnesses. In other words, Being a witness is not something you will do outside of your ordinary life. I've got my family life, I've got my work life, I've got my hobbies, and then I'm going to squeeze in some time to do some witnessing. No, no. Your home life, your work life, your hobby life is the place where we are all witnesses. That is the place, every aspect of our life. If you've been working someplace for five years and tomorrow you say, you know what, I'm going to be like the book of Acts and I'm going to be a witness at work. No, you've been a witness at work for five years and they've watched you. They've watched your character. They've watched how you've spoken about your boss and your coworkers and each other. They've watched how you've treated people, whether you showed up on time, whether you were honest. You've already been a witness. And the kind of witness that Jesus wants for each and every one is to be so transformed from the inside out that our life is being a witness. 
Witnesses is not something we're going to try to do because we're living for Christ and our life is our witnesses. And people see by our character and our priorities and our words the life of Christ living through us. Lastly, the Spirit is going to lead us into the world. If you envision the church as the place to go hide from the world, then you're going to have a hard time because the Holy Spirit is always going to lead us. Think about mom in Walmart with little Timmy dragging behind. She is leading him. (laughs) She's going to get the job done. And he has to learn to follow. In the same way, the Spirit of God is going to lead you and I to be a witness in our day. And maybe that's going to El Salvador Maybe that's going into your lunchroom. Maybe it's going into your dining room with a little bit more intentionality, thinking about God. How is it you have placed me here to be a witness for you? And one of the things, and this is a heads up, one of the things we see as we read through the book of Acts is that the Spirit of God does not seem really concerned about our comfort or our preferences And as we get into some stories, dare I say, our safety. But the Spirit is going to mobilize the church into the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. And, if I may, look around. It happened. The gospel went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Do you know where St. John is in comparison to Jerusalem? It's the ends of the earth. Now, some people in Canada might say St. John is the end of the earth or the armpit of Canada. We are the ends of the earth in comparison to where the disciples started in Jerusalem. And we worship here today, and there's churches all over our beautiful province who are worshiping the Lord. Why? Because they had lots of money and great leadership, and they had buildings and all kinds of fancy technologies? No. Because the Holy Spirit empowered the church normal, everyday people to be witnesses. So the question becomes for us in this season, how might we go? Where is it that God is calling us to? How do we think more intentionally about what it means to be a witness today in every aspect of our life? And what areas are we trying to be God's people on our own strength? And where do we need to surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit Where is the Spirit nudging you? Where is the Spirit leading you? And what does it look like to be the church today? Not in our strength, not in our own abilities, but through the power of God at work within us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have not left us orphaned as your people. That still, 2,000 years later, we rely on your Holy Spirit's work in our lives to be transforming us into your likeness. Lord, I pray that as we go through this series and read together and wrestle together with some of these big thoughts and ideas that this book is going to present us with, that we truly would be people who live each day and wake up on Monday morning asking the Lord to be our strength for everything that we need for life and for godliness. That we would be mindful, God, that we are your witnesses in everything that we do. 
And God, that as we go, we would expect you to be leading us to places where people need to hear the good news of Christ. And we look forward to what you will do through us. Amen.